Hello, everyone. I am so excited to tell you that the very high in demand parenting workshop called Ignite Her Joy is back to serve all of you parents with young women ages nine to 18 or on the way. And have you ever wished you could see the real smiles of your daughter's face more often? Or maybe you have wondered why she used to love school and is now having trouble. Or maybe you've seen some changes in her sweetness that are not as sweet, or maybe her confidence is wavering and you want to help her fortify that and help her prepare for her adult journey later on. So no matter what, all of those things come down to self-esteem and your young ladies today need some big doses of the real stuff. I'm not talking the social media, selfie-fed self-esteem, but the real stuff that will hold her up in the changes that inevitably come and those challenges of life. So this parenting workshop is totally free and totally priceless, and it is coming up. Ignite Her Joy, Five Steps to Growing Your Daughter's Self-Esteem in the Tween and Teen Years is May 9th through 13th. You are going to want to register for this ASAP so you can make sure you have a seat in this virtual room for this limited guest opportunity. You can go to NellieHarden.com slash Ignite to grab your seat right away so you can have this parenting gold to help your daughter grow and solidify her own self-esteem starting today. Again, that's NellieHarden.com slash Ignite. That's N-E-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-D-E-N.com slash Ignite. I can't wait to see you there. Hello and welcome to the 6570 Family Project Podcast. If you are a parent of a tween, teen, or somewhere on the way, this is exactly the place for you. This is the playground for parents who want to raise their kids with intention, strength, and joy. Come and hear all the discussions, get all the tactics, and have lots of laughs along the way. We will dive into the real challenges in raising kids today, how to show up as parents and teach your kids how to show up as members of the family and individuals of the world. My name is Nellie Harden, big city girl turned small town, sipping iced tea on the front porch mama who loves igniting transformation in the hearts and minds of families by helping them build self-led discipline and leadership that elevates the family experience and sets the kids up with a rock solid foundation they can launch their life on all before they ever leave home. This is the 6570 Family Project. Let's go. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 6570 Family Project Podcast where we are taking the first 6,570 days of our child's life and we are building in them and for them and with them a foundation that they can launch the rest of their lives with. Today, I have an extra special guest uh, on today, Jill Urbane. You guys, this is such a great conversation. It is all about toddler tantrums, what to do about them, and how they cycle back when our kids are in middle school and high school age. You guys, same uh, parts of the brain, same struggles that they're dealing with right there. So no matter what age your kid is, you're going to want to listen in today. So Jill Urbane is a parent educator and master's level social worker 
worker who has worked with families in their homes for nearly 30 years. You learn a lot in 30 years. And in that time, she has supported hundreds of families by providing them with the foundational knowledge and skills to help them support their child's learning, growth, and development all while helping them keep their parenting mojo. Who wants to keep and, well, maybe even get their parenting mojo? She specializes in toddler speech, social emotional development, and behavior. This was such a great talk today because no matter if you are in it and your child is right next to you right now throwing a tantrum or they did it yesterday or this was some years behind you but you have some uh some middle school high school years coming up then all of this is going to pertain to you. We're going to go through the secret sauce of communication with your kid and what you can do in order to help today and build tomorrow. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started with Jill. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode. You guys, I have told you all about Jill here. I am so excited to have her on here and have this uh, talk with her today all about her work with with toddlers and how it echoes through childhood and obviously then into adulthood. So welcome to the show, Jill. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to have you. You know, if, if you're listening to this, you probably have kids. And if you don't, you're thinking about having kids or you just like to listen to other moms and I don't know. Um, but either way, kids are a part of your life. And a part of that life is this adolescent toddler stage right there. So we've seen it, we've been through it, we survived it, right? And if you're there in it and you're wondering, can I do this another day? I promise you can, you're going to be just fine. And we're going to give you some tools today and not only tools for in the moment, but tools for growing forward. And so Jill, I want to know, because I find, I always find it so fascinating. I want to know you're obviously a leader in toddler and family work. How did you get to where you are and what, what is the story behind your journey? Yeah, it's actually quite interesting. Working with toddlers was never on my radar. Uh, I thought I, I started out in the mental health field, working with adults in psychiatric hospitals. And from there, I got an opportunity to uh, get into the state of Michigan, which is where I'm from. And, you know, I was brought up that if you can get into the state of Michigan, you better do it. Good benefits, job security. So I started working as a prison counselor with young adults who were serving maximum security, uh, maximum uh, sentences. So they were, you know, anywhere between 14 and 21 years old. And it was really quite sad that these young men were there. It was really kind of hurting my heart because they were all so bright. I always told them, if you just took an eighth of the energy you put into antisocial thoughts and behaviors and put it to pro-social, your life could have been very, very different. So true. So I thought, you know, I, I need to do something to try to keep these, these guys from, from ending up here. And it all starts with the family. It all starts with the family. They all have the same similar background with their families. And so I ended up being a protective services worker for about, I think I did that about five to eight years, somewhere in there. I blurted out. <laughs> um, it, that job taught me so, so much about family dynamics and stress and, you know, in the time that I did that job, I never, ever met a family that didn't love their child with every fiber of their soul, but they were just lacking tools. Yeah. You know, they didn't know how to be better. 
you know, and then they lack the self-esteem to be better. So it was, it was really enlightening and humbling to, to start with somebody in their most vulnerable state, you know? So I learned a ton from that job, but after a while, it kind of wears you down. You know, you're worrying about everybody else's kids when mine are sitting at home, you know, because I'm at the hospital or out on a call. So I decided I wanted to do something that would allow me to be more present for my kids and be less worrying about everybody else's kids. So I got a job at a local school district starting their early intervention program, working with infants and toddlers who had developmental delays. And that was it. That sealed the deal. I was hooked. I love me some toddlers, man. (laughs) Oh man. They're just absolutely amazing. So I work in the homes with their parents. It's a coaching model. So I coach the parents on things that they can do to help get their child's development going. And a lot of what we focus on, obviously with toddlers, most of them have language delays, but a lot of times it's because they're communicating through behavior, mm. tantrums, meltdowns, and then there's all sorts of sensory things that, that impact toddlers. And then the dynamic between the child and the, and the parents. So it's just, it's, I, I was hooked. So I've been in it over 20 years now and I just love it. Wow. Okay. So I was just taking some um, notes here. So first of all, you're from Michigan. I'm from Michigan. What? Get out I of town. Really? Yeah, I am from Michigan. So uh, my entire family's in Michigan. I live over on the East coast now, but um, yeah. So fellow Michigander. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, so yeah, I come from, you know, if you're in Michigan, you're either like a Wolverine or you're a Spartan and in our family, it was, uh, definitely mostly Spartans. I went to Indiana university though. And go so green. there you go. Yep. Go green. And so that's just kind of funny. So high five to you fellow Michigander. Um, and I find it so interesting that you did start in the prison system and, and you had that. And, uh, I've had, for sure, people in my family um, that have been in prison, um, uh, more than more than a couple cousins and things, and I see that like, oh man, if they just would have made this decision or had this tool right or put effort here or had someone put effort into them in this area, right? And it is heartbreaking um, to see that. So I, and then we've worked in prison ministries um, before, um, especially my husband. And so he comes out and he'll spend, you know, a good four days, uh, you know, with these prisoners. And he's like, I would totally be friends with these guys on the outside. You know, they're great guys that made some really crappy decisions, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, applaud your work and thank you for doing that. And all, all of the work that you've done protective services and the school districts and developmental delays. So, um, let's dive into, um, into some toddler work here. So in the 6570, the 6,570 days that we have as parents in this high impact, high influence time zone here, this is our parent childhood dance, if you will. Um, we really focus on establishing self-disciplined leadership, which is going to be the four essentials of that being vision, discipline, vulnerability, and resilience. And if we can do that for our kids and give them the four, you know, the, the four, um, stands of the stool, if you will, to have in this rock solid foundation, then they will be able to set themselves up for, a, a life, um, well-lived with, you know, uh, with 
um, courage and they'll be able to have wisdom in there, all the facets of wisdom. There's so many kinds of wisdom, right? Um, in fact, my, uh, my oldest daughter is in a psych class right now, a college psych class. And she came home last night and over, over taco Tuesday dinner, we were talking about, um, the different kinds of intellectuals, right. And the different areas of that. And we were going around to each other and trying to, you know, say, well, what do you think you are? And then do you guys agree with what I think I am and everything? So it was, it was a fun conversation last night. And I think it was pretty enlightening to some of the kids, but anyway, um, so with toddlers though, they're a bundle of energy, a bundle of a lot. And the dynamic between parent and toddler is very interesting as well. So can you dive in a little bit and tell us maybe, um, something that, uh, pertains in there with the, you know, the vision to see where we're going right with this toddler that's having this behavior right now, where are we going with that? Um, the disciplines in order to help them develop in a, in a better way. Um, the vulnerability to be like, I need help. This is like really hard right now. Right. And then the resilience to get back up the next day and do it all over again. So speak to that a little bit, if you could. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I really focus on with parents is to think about the big picture. I think Mm -hmm. that when you're the parent of really young kids, you're so stuck in the now, Yeah. right? That they don't think about like what impact what they're doing here is going to have later on. And so that's something that is a continuous discussion in our conversations. You know, like if, if you want your child to be able to sit at at school and eat at the table at school, well, then they have to do that here at home. Yeah. You know, so I'm always like what you do here in your home environment is helping them develop their expectation of what's going to happen in the world. So I'm big on thinking down the road. I mean, our goal is to have our kids when they're 18 and ready to go out into the real world, which my kids hate when I say the real (laughs) world, because it's all the real world. Right. Right. When they're out on their own, we need to have filled their toolbox yes. with as many tools as possible so they can get out there and be like, all right, I've, I've experienced some difficulties growing up. I know that I can problem solve and do these things. And my mom and dad gave me a lot of tools, even though while the, we're in the process of giving them the tools, they don't necessarily like it, <laughs> but they are able to take those tools and refer back to those tools. My mom always used to say, if you throw enough mud up against the wall, some of it's going to stick. Yeah. That's what we're doing as parents is we're constantly throwing mud at the wall and hoping some of it sticks. And it's always nice when down the road, I don't know if you've had this, where you hear your, your, one of your kids talking to somebody else and you're like, oh, well, I guess I said that to them. So they were listening. So it always, it always feels good to hear that. So so yeah, thinking big picture and down the road. And even if when, when they're little, if we're even just thinking like, all right, what's it going to be like when they start preschool? What's it going to be like when they go to, to kindergarten? What skills do I need to help them understand about interacting in those environments? And how can I help them shape that here at home? So always thinking big picture. Every opportunity that we have with our children that is difficult or where they're making mistakes is an opportunity for us to teach them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm I'm a big believer in that. Absolutely. And it's so funny. So we just uh, finished watching Cobra Kai with them, with my kids. Okay. But, uh, and then after Cobra Kai, they went back and they were like, well, we need to watch all the, all the karate kids. So we did that. We watched all three karate kids. And anyway, the whole, like, 
they, they caught on like the whole wax on wax off, you know, paint the fence and do all, uh, you know, scrub the floors and everything. And I was like, see, he was teaching them some things here, even though they didn't get it. And if you would have told them, then they would have been like, nah, you know, and, but it's, it's setting them up for the tools that they're going to need in, you know, the, in the real world or the world out there. Um, like you're saying, and one of my favorite moments that happens as a parent, and it happens pretty often, um, more as they get older is when you have been, well, the in-between isn't so fun, but you've been like beating your head. You're like, no, like this is, I know that this is, um, the way that, you know, you want to go and I'm not going against their grain, but I just see them, you know, heading toward a a danger zone, so to speak. And I'm like, this is going to hurt. This is what I, you know, what, uh, you should probably be thinking about. These are the questions you should be asking yourself and all of these things. And then lo and behold, they go to the danger zone, they have something. And then like a month later, they're like, you know, you were right. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Okay. (laughs) I love what you're saying there because I am a huge fan of parenting with love and logic. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. That that book, but what you're talking about doing right there in that moment is being the consultant parent, right? We're not telling them what to do, right? We're, we're giving them some information that they can decide what they're going to do with it, but then allowing them to make the choice, right? Then they make the mistake and that's where the learning is. Yeah. And then they can look back down the road and do exactly what you're saying, where they like, Oh, we had our, we had our niece live with us for several years due to some situations in her home environment. And it was really rough. She was a, you know, I always say there's some kids that have to um, learn the hard way. And she was Mm -hmm. one of those mistake after mistake, after mistake, after mistake. And, um, you know, she's a grown woman now. And she's like, oh, you were so right. You guys were so right about everything. And it's like, you know, you never say I told you so. No, no. I'm just, okay. And amazing human being. Yes. I have asked before, like, why do you have to go the hard way before? Like, if I've made the mistake, why you got to repeat it? Like I already, I made the mistake and I learned and I'm just teaching you like the shortcut. And they're like, yeah, well, I just had to do it, you know, and I I get it, but man, if you just, (laughs) it would be so much easier, you know, but, um, but I totally understand too. I also, you know, made that mistake, whatever that is. Okay. So, um, I want to uh, skew our conversation into your expertise, um, which is, uh, or part of what you do is language development. So yes. tell me a little bit about that because I, uh, language was always very important and I can be very, very honest. I used to see uh, parents with kids that were having these tantrums, right? These, um, like all out laying on the floor, all the crazy. And I can honestly say that never happened to me. That does not mean that parenting was easy or that we didn't have other things going on, but the tantrum piece we never experienced, but I think it was because we always, um, I, I was at home with her most of the time, uh, with my first, I have four now. Um, but, uh, established with our first, I was always talking to her, always talking to her. And I took sign language in college as my foreign language. And so, um, that was just, I don't even know. I, 
it was just natural for me to do it, um, with her because I was like, oh, well, her tongue can't do this sound right now. So I'll just do the sign. And so our kids were signing before they were speaking and we always knew what they wanted. We always knew what they were feeling because they had the language in order to tell us through sign language. And that was a saving grace for us for sure. Um, but it led to earlier, deeper conversations that we could have so we could understand what she was going through and what all of them were going through earlier than I think some parents are able to. So I just, I, I really, really see a benefit to early communication for that reason, understanding what's happening, right? What do you need? What do you want? So. Absolutely. And I think it all starts with, you know, um, there, there are, I like to call it the secret sauce, right? There are these five skills that really need to put it, be put into place before kids are going to start using words. And, you know, it's not something they really talk about in the baby books. Yeah. If you're a speech therapist or a professional working with toddlers with delays, they'll have it in those books, but they don't put it in the magazine articles and things that parents where parents are. And it's like, this is simple stuff, right? It's simple stuff. So in order for us to get to words with kids, with toddlers, you have to have engagement. They have to be interested in you and objects in their environment. Once we have engagement, then we can work on what we call circles of communication or serve and return, where we have back and forth interactions. The baby smiles, we smile back. The baby says, oh, I just did something and I got something back. Let me try that again. That's a circle of communication and we build on those opportunities so that we have more and more of this back and forth. Then from there, now that we've got more attention, then we can work on understanding. So I love that you said I was constantly talking to her constantly. That's what needs to happen. It doesn't matter that they're not understanding it. If you're talking to them, you're stimulating the language center of the brain every time you talk to them. And one thing I always try to impress upon parents is repetition, repetition, repetition. I've, I've read somewhere that you have to, that a child has to hear a word between 250 and 500 times before they're going to say it. Mm. And it's because of that process that's going on in the brain where they're connecting the cells, the myelination. Every time you repeat something, a little fatty tissue forms on that neural pathway that helps that electrical current talk to get to the other cell. So repetition is really important. So the more that kids start to understand, like, I can't tell you that I want a banana if I don't know what that word represents, right? Once they start to understand more, then we can work on initiation. This is a hard one for parents too, like letting their kids do the lion's share of letting them know that they want things, mm. right? You know, like some kids will just go and stand in front of the fridge and the parents like, oh, you want something to drink? They'll go in, they'll grab a cup and they'll fill it up and they'll give them their drink. And it's like, wow, you just made that super duper easy for him, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or they'll, yeah. they'll toss the cup across the room. The parents like, oh, he wants more milk and they'll go pick it up and they'll go fill it up and they'll bring it to him. And it's like, is that the dynamic that you want him to do. To exactly. That. Let's because fast forward we, this uh, five years. <laughs> exactly. So let's just take a baby step. And then if he really wants that milk that we, he has to at least bring you the cup, right? Absolutely. We're not running and doing it for him. So helping them initiate more and more frequently, because when they learn that they can get their needs met by taking a more active role in communication, they become more motivated to communicate. And then the final one of the foundational language skills is imitation. Mm -hmm. They have to be imitating our gestures. They need to be imitating our sounds. And then they'll ultimately start to imitate our words. When those five pieces are there and working well, 
then that's usually when the language light goes on. I always say that language is like a light that's on a dimmer switch. Some kids come out and it's turned all the way up. Like that's my firstborn. He was talking <laughs> at one, never stopped <laughs> talking, talking, talking. My second one, the language light was turned way down. She had a, a speech delay at 18 months. She really didn't have any words. And that was because I wasn't giving her opportunities to initiate, right? I was already in my my mom's own of, oh, you need milk too. And oh, here you have a snack. I didn't really require her to do anything more. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, for some of those kids whose language light is turned down, they've either found an easier way to get their needs met, considering that 93% of communication is body language and tone of voice and 7% is, is our actual vocabulary. Toddlers are brilliant at figuring out how to get their needs met without using words. And some of them, their light gets stuck there because they haven't figured out that words are going to make their life easier. They're like, if I want something to drink, I throw myself down on the floor and I have a tantrum and somebody gets me something. So, so that behavior piece plays a role in communication as well, right? Behavior is communication in some shape or form. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just think about, you know, your behavior that you're doing now, uh, whatever your behavior is, there's a purpose and you're trying to you know, get something, do something with it. Right. And uh, convey a thought with that to other people. I always, you know, my kids are now 12, 14, 14, and 16, and we've had numerous talks, especially between siblings, because when you have four girls in four years, um, there's a lot of hormones in these middle, you know, uh, middle school, high school times. And so the way that they speak to each other, is everything. I just had to sit down with them the other day because, uh, there was a, there was a conflict going on between two of the sisters and we go on a dog walk every day and we came back from the dog walk and I was like, okay, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about this. Now we did not go inside where it was super comfy. You know, it was colder outside. I'm not going to say cold because I know in Michigan it's colder, but, um, you know, it was, I don't know, it was probably 48 degrees, let's call it. And so I was like, we're going to sit here on the front lawn on the sidewalk, because it's, it's kind of the same reason for, to, to have a stand-up meeting at work, right? You have a stand-up meeting. So, you know, it's going to be brief and you get to the point and then you can move on. And so this was, this was the same type of thing. I was like, we're going to sit outside where it's not super comfy because I want to get to the heart of the matter. And then we're going to move on. Right. And we sat out there for a while, but it was all about this tone. And I keep telling them, you, you cannot, uh, go up to someone and figuratively slap them and then expect them to hug you two minutes later. Right. You just, you can't expect that out of people. And you also, there's a huge difference between saying, um, oh, I don't know, or I don't know. Right. (laughs) I was like, I don't care what words you're saying. It is your attitude. It is your tone. It is what your body's doing. If your eyebrows are raised above your head, like in the cartoons, you know, and you're like, I don't know. I was like, no, that is not okay to speak that way to people, especially, you know, your family and the people that love you most in this world, but they have that safety net, right? You're my sister. You'll always be my sister. So I can talk to you terribly. No, 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 no. And so, yeah, I, I entirely, um, get what you're talking about there. And I find it, I mean, 93% to 7%, that's a huge discrepancy. It is. And I have to mention, since you brought up tone, tone registers in the emotional part of our brain. Mm. That's why as adults, right. If somebody uses a tone that somewhere in your past 
right, had a negative impact, we go right back to those feelings. If a parent talked to us with a certain tone that made us feel uh, hurt or scared or like we were being talked down to, anytime anybody uses that similar tone, boom, we go out of our thinking brain right down to that emotional brain. And there really, there's very little that we can do about in that moment. And that really emphasizes exactly what you're talking about, how really important tone is. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of circling back before we started recording today, I was mentioning that, you know, I have, uh, adolescents now middle school, high school, and sometimes they act like toddlers. So it can still feel like you're with toddlers sometimes. And you mentioned how they are in that same mental state in some ways. So for everybody listening, I want you to touch on that a little bit because, if you're going through the toddler stage, know that there is no like cutoff point. I will never deal with the terrible fours again, because they do <laughs> loop back around a little bit. So uh, I, I'd love for you to touch back on that a little bit. Well, toddlers are going through a process called separation individuation. It's where they start to realize that they're a separate person than their parent. And this is why we have all of these different feelings and emotions and meltdowns and tantrums from, from toddlers is the first of all, trying to figure out how much control they have over their world and they want to do things and be independent. So if you think about it, that's almost exactly what a teenager is going through, right? They're going into this next stage of adulthood. They want to be able to do these things. They want to be independent, but they're not quite ready for it. And they still need support. And they don't like that they still need support. And it's the exact same thing with toddlers. I always tell parents how they go through twos is how they're going to go through teens. Just so you know. <laughs> and then you see the faces drop. No. <laughs> no. But that's then I'm like, so we better get on it and figure out some strategies now. Yes. Because if you do the work now and set the foundation and do all of the hard work, because it is really hard when they're young, right? Because it's so physical, right? We're moving right. them, we're redirecting them, right? And it's exhausting because they push and they push and they push, you know, but if you do the work when they're really little, it makes it so much easier down the road. I'm not going to say it's going to be a, <laughs> you know, walk in the super park. duper easy, a walk yeah. in the park. Yeah. But it, you've already set the foundation and helped them understand what the expectation is and what, what the limits are going to be. So it does make it easier down the road as they get into the, the stage again as teenagers. 100% it does. And it's funny. So I work with a lot of people um, that are either going through that now and I'm helping them, you know, set up this, this path toward uh, their self-disciplined um, leadership. And it's not just for the kid. This is for the whole family. That's why I love working with whole families, right? Because parents bring a lot of head trash, a lot of head trash into their world too. And then they're accidentally parenting their kid the way that they did not enjoy being parented themselves. And so we're bringing that self-discipline leadership into the family as a whole for the parents individually, for the kids individually, and the whole family as a team as a whole. Um, but I just find it really, um, interesting because I work with some people that didn't have this in the toddler years and there's definitely a distinction, but it doesn't mean that you are completely, you know, if you didn't do this between, you know, when they were toddlers, it doesn't mean that you can throw in the towel when they're 11 and say, oops, I, you know, missed out on this one. And I guess, you know, we'll just let the world eat them up. Um, there's definitely some things you can do. It's just going to take a lot more of that self, uh, discipline leadership on your part in order to help, 
uh, regulate and show them the boundaries and show them how to have that personal, I'm sorry, that, um, that communication methods and discipline techniques and all of that, um, going forward. So with, with that, I would love to know if you have any, you know, tips for someone that is going through, um, you know, the mom, the dad that is going through this difficult, uh, toddler time, what is something that they would be able to put in place this week in order to start to turn the tide and build for the future? I think probably the biggest tip that I have for families is to try to be proactive Mm -hmm. in the sense of toddlers are looking for control. That's what they're looking for. That's why they say no all the time, right? That's why they're testing limits is they're trying to figure out how much control they have. And if you think about it from a toddler perspective, they really don't have much. We usually are telling them when to get up, what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, whether they can watch TV, et cetera, et cetera. So I like trying to find proactive ways to address different potential issues with a toddler, uh, such as giving them choices, right? So giving them choices all throughout the day. You know, do you want to wear your red socks or your blue socks? I don't care what color socks you wear. I really don't, right? I don't care whether they have a banana or an apple, as long as they have a piece of fruit. You give them as many choices as you can. And what you're doing is you're sharing control with them. From a language standpoint, you're also doing a lot of awesome things because you're labeling things, right? Getting those repetitions in. But secondly, you're requiring them to communicate that want or need, whether it's through looking at what they want, pointing to what they want or saying what they want. Hmm. So choices covers a lot of ground and it's like putting money in a bank. If you can do it consistently throughout your day for your toddler. Yes. The second one is to avoid the the brain processes negatives more quickly than it does positives. Right. So unfair, but so true. It is. It is. So (laughs) I like to try to front front load toddlers brains with by telling them what I want them to do instead of what I don't want them to do, you know, cause the toddler, you tell them to don't touch the TV and they're like, what don't touch this. <laughs> that's, that's just the way their, their brains are wired to do the opposite of what we say. So what we should do is try to tell them what we want them to do instead of what we don't want them to do when they're jumping off the couch, grab them off the couch and say, Oh, you can jump on the floor. Right. When they're running down a hallway to the doctor's office, you grab their hand and you say, Oh, we are walking down the hallway, (laughs) right? When they take the crayons and try to run off with them, oh, the crayons stay at the table. You may feel free to go play wherever you want, but the crayons stay at the table. So it's a tricky way of giving limits. They still have the option that, you know, okay, well, if I want to go play, I guess I can play. I just can't take that crayon with me. Yes. So it's a nice way to kind of avoid some of those power struggles with little ones. Yes. And not feel like you're saying no, stop and don't constantly, constantly. Yes, I agree. And, um, I would, uh, just clarify on that first one too, or not clarify you, you said it perfectly, but with parents, cause that's definitely something I did a lot give choices. Um, because I did want to, we are a team. We're a family as a team, mom, dad are the captains, but you are a team member on here too. And we all work together. So if we were going out to eat or doing something and I, and it really didn't matter, but I would never, I'd tell them, 
that it didn't matter because I want them to know that it matters, you know, to them feel like they're, they're making a substantial contribution to the family and the direction that the family is going to go in or whatever color socks they're going to wear, what shirt they're going to wear, or, um, you know, should we go to, you know, we need to go to target and we need to go to, you know, I don't know, another store. Um, somewhere else, uh, the grocery (laughs) store, which one should we go to first, you know, and then they can tell you. And then when they walk in, they're like, yeah, I chose this. I chose that we were going to go here, you know, and it, it does, it empowers them to be able to, uh, be asked if it grows that confidence, right? I, like Absolutely. I can be trusted to make a decision and it was a good decision, right? And it just keeps building and building on that. So I love both of those and um, highly, highly encourage uh, both of them. I have loved having you on here. I, I really think that we could have a three hour long podcast. <laughs> oh, there's and so much to say about kids, right? <laughs> I know, I know. And I know that we both have just such a heart for for equipping these kids for the world out there. Right. And you're not wrong when you say the real world to your son, because when you are in the incubator of home, they don't have to make all the decisions and have all the pressure on them. Right. But in the real world or the world out there, they do. And so we need to equip them with what they need in order to be able to see an obstacle, you know, have a plan of action, follow through with it and get to an accomplishment, whatever that looks like on the other side, even if that accomplishment is a failure because failure is okay too. We're just going to learn from it and move forward. So absolutely. Thank you so much for being on here. This has been a treat. And I know um, all of our listeners have gotten so much out of this as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Oh, of course. Well, everyone listening, you are the architect of this great uh, 6570 project. You are building the beginning of someone else's life and you are having fun along the way. This is 18 years of your life too. Have a great week and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening today. And I hope you were able to take something from our discussion that you can use to build the foundation of self-led leadership in your own family. If you are a parent with children 17 or younger, and especially those around nine and up, I would love to extend an invitation to you to the best club in town. The Family Architects Club is a private club where intentional parents go that want to love, support, connect, or reconnect, and really truly help guide their kids and teach them how to self-lead in discipline and leadership. This is an online community and you are welcome to it. Parenting is a project and you are the architect of this one. You plan, you design, and oversee the construction of the beginning of someone else's life. And that's what goes into these first 6,570 days, and it will be the foundation for the rest of their lives. So come join the club. You can find your invitation on the front page of my website, NellieHarden.com. That is N-E-L-L-I-E-H-A-R-D-E-N.com. Thank you again for being a part of this conversation today. And if something really resonated with you, or if you have a question, please don't hesitate to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram at Nellie Harden. And lastly, if you loved the information, please, please leave a five-star review and a comment so more and more families can be impacted by harnessing the strength of these ideas and tools in their own families. So thank you so much. Happy building, you guys, and I'll see you next week.